0: Chris Savage, thanks so much for joining me on this uh, second episode of How It Works. I appreciate you taking the time to chat today about Wistia.
1: Thanks for having me. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, I I think everybody knows who you are, but uh, for those that don't, Chris is one of the uh, co-founders of Wistia, which he started in 2006 with Brendan Schwartz. And uh, yeah, they both met at Brown University, and Wistia is now... I would call it a household name in some communities. Certainly, the uh, community that listens to this podcast. Uh, but you all are at the forefronts of video marketing, and uh, Wistia has what is it? Uh, hundreds of thousands of companies that are using it today. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, household name. No, nope, that's that's great. Thanks. Yeah, I just like to. <laughs> You know, it's uh, it's you just gotta find your community. So household name, small number people, all good. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but um, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Excited to chat with you today. Um, yeah, let's let's do it. What do we got?
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, as I as I preface slightly before this, uh, I hit the uh, red record button. What I'm really hoping to do is understand today, or help our listeners to understand a little bit more about you know i would say from the outside as far as we know you guys doing really well um you have you had a fantastic microconf talk in 2019 at growth uh which i was at where you talked about um how 17 million dollars in debt allowed you guys to stay focused on a long-term strategy and vision for the company as opposed to the short-term stresses and i I encourage everybody to go check that out it was really good um but what i what piqued my curiosity i kind of wanted to even ask is listening to that is like how (laughs) like you navigated a lot of change from 2006 to now so talking about 14 years of evolution of the business and when i think about that you know where i tend to geek out is how have things changed and where are you at now in terms of a customer journey like somebody hears about wistia and becomes a customer yeah. you know then yeah. versus now and then like, how do you guys actually work as a business? Like you have all these employees, but a lot of us listening to this have one, two, maybe five employees. Like we're, <laughs> most companies are small. And so we just kind of look at these larger operations. And I think it's really opaque in terms of, you know, we, we've all worked inside, a lot of us work inside big companies, but like as a founder, you, you built an organization, right? And, and what I'd love to understand, I guess, is how Wistia works. Yeah. Basically from the inside, as much as you can share.
1: Um, Yeah, yeah. Well, so two, two meaty topics. So let's, let's start (laughs) with the customer journey. Yeah. Um, And actually, we'll start with today because I feel like that's the easiest to wrap your mind around. Yeah. yeah. Today, uh, people, the strongest channel for us is word of mouth still, which Mm. is crazy. Um, Mm. It's people coming direct to the website. There's people searching for Wistia, signing up. Um, It's referrals. It is, you know, there's, but there's some paid acquisition there and other things, but like, Mm -hmm. By far, the strongest pull has been the brand and and the experience and people talking to other people about it. Mm. And um, <clears throat> the way the process works is uh, we're freemium. You can come in, try the product for free, and then you can self-serve and pay and upgrade. And then there's a tier that you need to talk to someone on our sales team that has more Features and is more advanced. It honestly is like a little bit more complicated. And mm. when we, it was interesting, like we used to have it self service and not as many people were finding value in it. And then we're like, well, do a demo and see what you think. And people, way more people did demos and purchased. And then we realized, well, we've made something that's very valuable, mm. but it is slightly complicated. And it was a surprise to me because I expected that we would just be completely self service forever and yeah. actually. By adding full service, more people understood the value that they got. Um, hmm. So that was really interesting, but it's very different from where we began. Um, so we we kind of – it took us a year after we started the company to really hone in on, on Wistia specifically. We were always hmm. in online video, but like to hone in on Wistia being like helping businesses use video online and yeah. our first customer – um actually bought the product without even knowing without the product being completed like they told us the problem they were solving and they knew we were video experts and we told them that we could build it in two weeks and we built it and we said this is the price they hadn't seen anything they said well if you can do that we'll pay you you know four hundred dollars a month and great and they they, and that was so it was like literally done by hand and um that's how the beginning was it was just like meeting Mm -hmm. people in person and working the meager network we built in the first year, and like slow, like driving, and you know, it's like the first credit card number we ever got was written down on like a yellow legal pad. Oh,
0: that's and great. Then we put it into the
1: system ourselves. <laughs> you know, that's like how that's how it was. it was. It was very, very, very different than how it is now. You know, it's just um, and the, yeah. over time we learned. Oh, they we're doing the same thing over and over this should be this should be made repeatable this should be put online this should be made easier and every time we did that more people would get it more people would buy into it more people would get excited about it um yeah, yeah so it's just it was a journey and we're it's a journey we're still on i mean we started 14 years ago but we have yeah. a long way we want to go and a lot of things we want to do so um we're just constantly evolving
0: yeah yeah do you remember who when you talk about the the yellow legal pad credit card number days like who were your first hires after you and Brendan started the business? Yeah. Were, it, of course I what remember. Did they remember. What yeah. did they do? No. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, they're critical. So, we, we, we got for the first maybe hmm, five months of Wistia, it was still just Brendan and I. And then we realized because we were getting talking to so many big companies who, actually needed the solution we had, shockingly, and there was no other solution for them, shockingly. And so we were realizing- When Cirque du Soleil became a customer, they were customer number six. Wow. I was like, okay, this is insane. We have a giant company trusting us, yet another one. There's no other solution. We, there is something here and we need help. We need help because we are working at a 10 person house out of a bedroom. We have no idea what we're doing. We've never made a contract. We've never done sales we've definitely never scaled a product. And so we had met two people along the way that uh, both had more experience than us. Someone named Ben, who would come on to be the first engineering hire, and this guy named Adam, who would be the first sales hire. And um, both of them joined us, and they had run businesses before and been founders before at other companies. Um, And yeah, so there was just a huge amount of experience that they had. And then they came in and basically started to help us figure out the basics. You know, like, what would this what would this business model be? How could we try to do outbound sales? Like, every single basic fundamental thing.
0: So you guys, had, I mean, that, that's a pretty high caliber first four people in terms of they had been founders before, they'd run businesses before. So this was not folks who were like, okay, tell me what to do. Um No, this is, this is, yes,
1: this was people, they were both people who were like, I, I have an idea too. And I have an Mm -hmm. idea of what I want to do, which was awesome. And, you know, when you're starting also weird, because Mm -hmm. we had been figuring out everything ourselves and were the experts at the business, but very quickly we had to have this lesson of like, all right, now give up control. Like I remember Adam and I, he was in charge of sales, but I had been doing the sales before that. And, you know, he was doing outreach and trying to get customers. And then I I did my own outreach and got a big customer to sign up. And I'm like, look at him, look at me. <laughs> I got these guys to set up, where are your deals? And he was like, what are you doing? Like, you're trying to do my job. Like, get out of yeah. the way and let me do this. Trust me. Yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah. And he's like, go do your job. And it was this funny thing of, mm. um, of course he was right. Like, I should have trusted him more completely and given him more complete ownership, which I then did. But yeah. like it was creating weird problems in the early days by you know having overlapping roles, not being clear who owns what, all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, no, that's that um, understood the challenges, but that that's a really really fortunate um, early couple of, of hires. And so then you at that point you had like the stem cells, if you will, of multiple departments. So you had technology, sales, um, marketing, and you're obviously you're you know that that's a that's an awesome uh, beginning. What uh, let me jump back to today, then we'll kind of keep doing this back and forth a little bit. Uh, The team now, you know, and this is not a numbers show, but this is the the one number that I always um, Mm -hmm. mentioned, let's just say roughly, you know, 100 people or so, uh, is the company scale size? We're about 130
1: 135.
0: Okay. And the reason I mentioned that is just, can you give us a feeling for just how those 100 folks um, break down in terms of Just however you organize, so departmentally or sort of major um, categories?
1: Let's see. Maybe just under 50% of the business is product and engineering. Okay. Product and engineering, right right around that. Um, And then the next biggest groups are going to be sales and support. And then um, the last quarter is probably you know marketing and operations and all that other jazz
0: okay. yeah so actually uh, now, now i am interested back to the customer journey on the marketing side um and and self-service uh, and freemium and all that blends blurs and blends products and marketing and sales all together but you guys are not are you not self-service at all now and i should know this because i'm a wistie customer but
1: uh, I no, I we're to... self-service yeah we do both okay. basically okay. so it's freemium come in um, you can sign up and start paying and upgrading and using and all that kind of stuff uh, without okay. talking to anybody. And there's just uh, some features that are more complicated that we found over time, like talking to someone tends to be the best way to um, okay. understand them.
0: And did that, did that, um, does that map pretty well to the size of customer? I mean, clearly, size of contract, I would think, but um, what are your customers? look like in terms of size of company some people just hear about you and uh they're large enterprises and they say they want to talk they know they want to talk to a salesperson or does everybody come through that self-service at the beginning
1: most people almost everyone comes to the self-service okay i mean i think the way that companies are buying is changing and everybody is used to more self-service yeah And so if you don't have options there there's got to be a really good reason like mm-hmm. you know you're going to talk to someone but you're going to talk to them incredibly quickly you're going to get an answer really fast i think that's also why we've seen the reliance and the explosion of chat is yep. you know we have expectations now i want answers now give me an answer now yeah, I, I don't want right. to waste my time it's on my schedule and so for yeah. all of those reasons this spying is just changing dramatically
0: Got it, got it, and and um, that's I completely agree, and definitely definitely have seen the same thing on the on the sales side. Then our folks, um, you know, the old model uh, was a lot more of the dialing for dollars, hunting and all that, just cold. But you've got this sort of um, stream of of warm intros or leads based on the free usage. Are folks reaching out proactively as well, like qualifying them in product and saying, hey, you know, I'd love to talk to you more about your account, or um, is that more sort of they reach out to you?
1: The vast, vast majority is people reaching out to us.
0: Okay. So they kind of raise their hand after a while and say, hey, um, I'm also interested in these yeah. other things. Yeah. Well,
1: it's also, you know, we've been doing this long enough. There are people who have done a lot of wild things with Wistia, the product, <laughs> which is amazing. And we have yeah. whole companies that are built on top of us and all wow. that functionality is wow. in there. And I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, yeah. Huh. Um. It, and there are, you know, basically in that those companies are built on top of us, vi- delivering video is a core part of their product. And right. so they sign up and they use Wistia for the back end. And so they use our APIs and we, they upload the stuff from within their app to Wistia. We do all the encoding, all the delivery, all the, huh. you know, customization. They pull back the analytics data and put it in the context of what they're doing. Um, <clears throat> and there's there's actually a fair amount of companies that do that now but okay. that stuff is if you know you're doing that you want to talk to somebody because yeah. you're making a, a building <laughs> decision. And so there's it's, there's things yep. like that where people know they want to talk to us because yep. they know they're doing something more complex, they know they're doing something with higher usage. Um,
0: mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, and and does the pricing <laughs> a lot of different it scale models? Yeah, I'm like yeah. you know, I'm sure it's I'm guessing it's not one dimension, but you tell me.
1: Yeah, no. So, I mean, our pricing basically is uh, the plans start $100 a month. W- and then as you use more, you pay more. Mm-hmm. So it's very simple. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's okay. it's like a- AWS even. Except yeah. in st- instead of starting at $0 a month, we started at $100. But um, yeah, you upload more videos. It comes with mm-hmm. some free videos. but If you upload a lot more, then you pay more per video. But if you have huge amounts of videos, of course, the price per video goes down as you commit more same thing okay. with viewing um, and so yeah those folks are basically paying for the sip but they are just much larger than okay. your average customer
0: yeah I mean that that's that's awesome because that means that you can right it's it's like a twilio model or anything else that's more yeah. usage based where you go hey if you, if you need a thousand gallons this you know then sure you know it's just uh it's not a thousand times the base probably but like we can still use the same units of measurement to yeah it's a it's a pretty it's a
1: pretty shocking thing but we have customers that that actually upload from their accounts because they're you know they are they are built on top of us Hmm. um many millions of videos a month
0: (laughs) wow okay that's really cool i had no idea you guys were such a um platform company in that sense like uh my use case has always been, hey, create a video, upload it, embed it somewhere, you know, or yeah. share, the, share the link. Um, you
1: know, it's funny, though, is that that's how it starts. And then, hmm. you know, like anything, like the first video, that's one of the interesting things that I've watched change so much over the years. Like when we started, we talked to everybody. they were like, that's a great idea, but my company will never use video. You know, they're like, people were afraid because <laughs> it's too expensive. And now, as okay. you just said, you make a video, put it on a product page, put it on a, a front page or whatever. Oh, yeah. And then you're like, oh, this is doing well. It's not doing well. Like, it's pretty clear how Wistia can help you. But then what often happens is that it's a really, it's an evolution. Like, people start with that first one or the first few. And then when they see that, yes, part of their audience, of course, always wants to watch, just like part of their audience always wants to listen. Then yeah. they start, like, production ends up making its way internally, or they end up having... Uh, someone who's responsible for dealing with ongoing external production, and so you end up making so much more content. It's crazy. But like, if you have a, if you do a test yeah. on a landing page for an ad, and you discover with the video on the page it performs better, which is often the case, just purely because there are some people who want to watch, or some people want to read, versus some people want to listen. Yeah. Then you start thinking, well, every landing page should have this. Well, like, yeah, and just like, just like with copy, mm. if the copy's nailed that it's more effective. So it's the same thing. And so suddenly you're in a spot where you're making tons of content all the time. And we end up with people who sometimes for years, we'll have somebody who has like five videos in their account and let's say two years. And then suddenly this clicks and they start adding five, 10, 20 videos a month. And it just, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's this crazy progression that folks will go through.
0: Yeah. 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 So there's this, you know, this incubation period that is, um, Somewhat variable, of course, but then once it starts to happen, that's—I uh, mean—that's the beauty of the model, of a model that doesn't have a per-seat price. Where you're like, well, most people aren't hiring like crazy, so those things can stay pretty flat. But if if the growth of a business and its utilization increases, you know, it's a win-win. Um, that's that's a great spot to be. And I'm curious on the go-to-market side. You know, you talked about uh, organic by far being the lead. Some some elements of paid, uh, but like. It. I'd be remiss to not talk about the fact that Wistia has such a, you know, you said marketing, like referring to some fraction of the folks that are there, but like I think marketing when I think of you guys in a good way of like your brand precedes you in the sense of these folks seem to really like eat, breathe, sleep (laughs) what it means to do marketing in in a way that's like exciting, like what 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 does that contribute to the overall business model like how do you measure the success of marketing is it like hey we have more organic leads i you know let's attribute that to the things we're doing like yeah how do you connect the dots from an ROI perspective on
1: yeah marketing? yeah yeah well first of all yes we make we do a lot of marketing and we make a lot of content and you know it all started as blog posts and then blog posts with videos and then events and then more blog posts and then more videos and the video series and the learning center and then this evolution towards now we have like multiple shows, right? So we have, yeah. um, we did Brandwagon last summer. We did a feature documentary the year before, 110, 100. Um, I'm yeah. doing a podcast now called Talking Too Loud. We have like a bunch more podcasts in development. We have video, big video projects launching and Q1. There's just t- tons and tons and tons of stuff. And the way it works is like, you know, when you're starting with something, you, at least for me, I always, especially if it's new, and it is at all removed from directly getting a customer, which a lot of the stuff we're talking about is, you just have to go through the progression of, of how the data is going to come in. So eventually when it's at scale or it's long enough after you've done it, you can see the results. So I can go back and look at 110-100 and mm. I can tell you that it had a huge impact on the number of customers, on the tides front with brand, on how people were searching for Wistia. You can see a trajectory change when that happens. Right. But at the time... It was like the day of launch, the week after, the four weeks after, most of the feedback was qualitative. So it was like Mm -hmm. people tweeting about it, people writing comments about it, people mentioning in emails, sales team brings it up, how many people have said that they've watched it, all that kind of stuff. And almost always this this stuff starts with qualitative data first. And then at some point you get enough of it going, like enough traffic, enough views, enough time that the quantitative starts to make sense. And you know, usually the qual the quantitative aligns with the qualitative. So if everyone hates something, guess what, <laughs> it's probably not going to work. And if they right. love it and they ask for more, it probably is going to work. And it's yeah. it's kind of a hack to get through to speed the whole thing up because if you don't look at the qualitative stuff, then and you're not mm. open to it, then you could do something and not know if it worked and then move on. And then six months later, you go back and like, wait a second, why are people coming back and still listening to this podcast or like a large number of people who sign up say in the, in the comment for like where they heard about us podcast and like, is that our podcast? You know, just like there are things that can be done, um, to figure it out later. And that's often what happens, but how do you figure it out quickly is often just simply asking the question, like, did you hear this? Where'd you hear about this? Did you watch this? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, that that uh, that makes a ton of sense. You've got a lot of a lot of a lot of channels in terms of the marketing. Like uh, that that's that's a uh, that's a lot of output. Is what I'm trying to say uh, for um, for your team. Is that? Actually, I was curious. One more thing on the go to market as you grew this business. How how did you partner with or how did you you know? But was it a business development effort, a concerted effort on? I mean, there's a lot of people involved in the production of video, and so you have mm-hmm. a brand or a company that says we want to do more video, but it's not like we have videographers, people in house necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, here, you guys are as a technology company, but you're not offering, as far as I knew, at least at the time, professional services. Did you partner with, you know, um, creative agencies or like how did how did they fit into your world then and now?
1: Um, so you mean on the how we made the content?
0: Yeah, how did you? Um, how did you work with, I guess, um, you know, how do you work with the value chain or the whole ecosystem in terms got of, it. you know, the, let's yeah. say there's a, you know, Porsche wants to do a lot more video on its website and let's say, or Cirque du Soleil, they might, they may or may not have people in house that know how to utilize your technology directly. If they hire outside, yes, got it. Yeah, 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 that's your customer, right? Yeah. 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 So curious yeah. about that.
1: So, um, Today, the way that it works is, I'll, there's kind of two answers, because there's the answer on how we are marketing ourselves and the content we're making, and then there's the answer on how we are partnering. So yeah. I'll go, the marketing one, we make a lot of content internally, we have figured out that to scale our content, we have to also work with more external folks. And so what we've done is hired producers who are on our team, who own you know the strategy, the schedule the format, the taste, the creative, like, kind of inputs, and they'll work okay. with um, the external producers to to make the content. And okay. so we can be in control of the brand and make it sure that stuff fits well with all the other things that we're doing, but yeah. not actually be in charge of the production. And okay. so that's where we are now from how we make things. And that gives us a huge amount of leverage. So exactly. we ha- yeah. I think we have three producers internally but there i the project the projects i listed off was me missing many of them so there's, sure. a,
0: there's a lot of projects yeah and there's then, armies of people that work yes, on that stuff
1: yeah. yes then on the um, how we partner with the community of course what we what we found over the years is that a lot of folks do not have production internally and even if they do you know it's often the person they're working with who then they hired or whatever Um, and so we've tried to make Wistia a product that is very, that, that like a producer, a video producer loves using, like an agency loves using. So it's simple, it's fast, it's easy. There's controls that you can like give, there's access controls So you can give control to your client or not. You can host the videos for your client or not. You can refer them to Wistia, put yourself on the account as a manager. All of this stuff is set up so that it is incredibly easy if you are someone who is making content for a business to help that business be more successful and help them make a good decision with what platform they use. And so yeah. by doing that and trying to nurture our relationship with that ecosystem, it's been fantastic. I mean, there's thousands of, of agencies mm-hmm. who use Wistia, you know, put their clients on Wistia. Um, they've been incredibly important. And then there is a small number of agencies who are not just making the content, but are like the marketing agencies. And those mm-hmm. people go in and help their client with their strategy. And those folks uh, mm-hmm. will also... Those are the probably the folks that they'll talk to their client and they'll walk their client in to talk to our sales team and say like, I have a relationship. Do you want to talk to them? Yes. And we make it right. easy. But it's like a direct handoff type of thing.
0: Yeah, it's so... It's so- this is a very much like, uh, reminds me of jobs to be done in the sense of, if you think about the product, it's like at the literal end of that continuum, you've got somebody who just needs to be able to sit there with their eyes open and see this beautiful video on their screen. But like the product depth, it expands out and you've got all these different stakeholders who have different roles in getting to that point. And like your product management, then in terms of its North star, you know, you've got a couple personas that you have to serve, you know, um, throughout that. So if it's not powerful enough, sure maybe the video is beautiful and crisp, but like those people can't actually put their talents to work, maybe in, in what they do. So, you know, it doesn't work in terms of that overall. So did it did it take a long time to sort of get those um uh get in gear with each of those personas like or to figure out that they all existed or did you just know because of your background that yeah of course these are the people and this is what they're gonna need? Um Like how, how, how muddy was it starting out compared to where you are today?
1: Uh, very muddy, very, very muddy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it was, I wish I could say, oh, these are the personas, but no, it was much more like you try a bunch of stuff, you realize it's not working. You pay really close attention to the support requests that are coming in. You realize that there are different types of requests coming in from different people using the same product in different ways. And you, then you realize that they're driving a lot of growth for you. And then, mm. so it's almost like, how can you return the favor? How can you help them out? I mean, cause it's so much of this stuff is just like symbiotic. It's crazy, right? Like if yeah, if if you make it, uh, it's it's so obvious in B2C how this stuff works, which is like, you make a product that people buy because they think it's going to get them in shape or they think it's gonna make them right. happy or it thinks it's gonna make them sexy or it thinks that they're gonna give them joy, right? Sure. And so the job to be done is like so... Clear in someone's life. Very tight. Yeah. Very tight. And then in B2B, we're like, we forget that like the person who's buying is taking a risk. And Mm. they have a job to be done too, which is like they want to be successful in their career. They want more leverage on their time. They want something to be cheaper. They want to be differentiated. They want to be (laughs) an early adopter, whatever it is. And a lot of that is very emotional, which is like. You adopt a thing, you vouch to your team it's going to be good. Is it good? If it is, you look great. If it isn't good, you might not get a promotion. Like the company might yeah. not grow as much. And I think that we forget that actually, like those decisions can be incredibly emotional. And um, so it's really important we think about the personas and how we're taking care of our customers, that, like the jobs that they are solving are often a really big deal and involve not just like the growth of their company or whatever, but literally like someone's career and like how they feel like they can provide for themselves and their family. It's just, it's, I don't know for me, when I think about that, it makes it easier actually to, to take all of the feedback and the support with more urgency and more seriously uh, because I know it's going to affect people in such a direct way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It it reminds me of the, the, the author of business model generation uh, Alex Osterwalder he had the follow up book with value proposition design but he he really did a good job of breaking apart the value proposition into people was like emotional functional and maybe it was like what you know what are the duties or responsibilities i am getting the third but it's the emotional part the pillar was so it's so obvious in hindsight <laughs> uh, yeah. but when somebody calls it out it's like no 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 talk about you know the joys, pains, frustrations, and and what you're really doing there. And I, I agree, like, in, in B2C, it's a very tight loop of me, myself, and I, you know, and and conspicuous consumption, if you will. But in, in the world you're talking about, you know, this is this person and this agency and, and all that, you, um, I think as founders, when we have products in B2B, it's almost like until we satisfy each of those personas just enough, like, it the, the cycle's broken, or like, it doesn't yes. really work, you know, because it all it takes is the weakest link to say this doesn't work. We have to use YouTube or whatever it is, and you're still and and then you don't have a client, you know. Um, that's right. So I, I don't, did you did you sense a like a click at some point when you finally got enough of that sort of satisfaction from each? Or um? uh, yeah,
1: I, that's happened a bunch of times, right? Like there, mm. there's
0: been many times where we've had like
1: there was a when we first got our first customer and the next 30, which all basically signed up for the same thing, it was instantaneously different. And I knew when they started using it, we got the next one, the next one, I was like, wow, there is something here. This is amazing. But then um, you realize the trajectory you're on and you're like, all right, this is this is good. This is exciting. But like, I would think I could be on a different trajectory. <clears throat> well, then we launched a new set of features and a slightly different pricing model, more self-service. And the trajectory changed entirely. It was like, we had listened to customers and done what people had told us to do, especially people who were who didn't end up signing up. And uh, then we were on a completely new path. And I've, I've watched that happen a lot. Mm. Like I can think of many moments when we took a step forward and it just cha- it changed the trajectory of the business. And it was exactly. like, oh, we've now unlocked this value for these people, this is amazing. Mm. What do we do now, you know?
0: Yeah, it's, it's almost like, a fa- as founders, we're looking for these, like, just let me find a safe footing somewhere, you know, to the first one. And and then immediately, it's like, okay, where's the next one at? And it feels really good to find one of those ledges to stand on. But yeah. then, you know, like you said, like, the next one shows up. I'm, I think that might be a good segue to the last um, area, uh, which is how the business works from a leadership standpoint. And one thing I wanted to bring up in this context is, you know, you guys did go through the raised some angel money. Um, wasn't a ton by today's standards, but it was certainly a lot in, you know, Oh eight, Oh nine, et cetera. Um, f- as far as the seed round goes. And then you ended up raising the debt money, but the, the arc was as a company culture, the way I, what I took away was you, you want to have the Liberty to be long term in your execution and not have to justify everything on a 30, 60, 90 day, you know, schedule. Um, and if I'm getting that wrong. Let me know. But like, that's that, that. was kind of my main takeaway: was you have this freedom now. I guess if that's true, how how do you guys operate in terms of goals and planning, right? Because you supposedly have this freedom. How's that working out? <laughs> and, and and like, you still have short term goals, I imagine. So yeah, can you talk us through like, um, if you want to talk about what's different now, that's fine. We talk about the past, but like, yeah, how, how does Wistia plan?
1: Yes. So first of all, that's all true. And you remembered correctly. Um, <laughs> w- we have purposely set things up to let ourselves be long-term in our focus, and which lets us make different decisions, like lets us follow our instinct in a different way and, and lets us work on hard problems for a long time. Um, and yeah. also build a culture we want, which at least for me is like how I'm able to do this for a long time. Like if yeah. I didn't think that our culture was creative and thoughtful and, you know, all the other things that it is, I wouldn't be fulfilled. And instead, I'm incredibly fulfilled. And so it's it's very easy to keep going. Um, So how do we plan now? We have we basically create a plan, we play a forecast that's a few years in ahead, like three to five years of like this is what we think, three to five years, what's possible. This is we check and then we check in on it every year. And so every year we say Are our assumptions the same, or like did we did? Were some true and some incorrect? And almost always, things that you're certain to be true <laughs> are incorrect, and things Turns that you're certain to be true are actually proven faster. And mm. it's a very mm. interesting exercise to go through every year, where you're like, these are the things I don't know but assume about the world, and you, and you do that, and then um, we basically build our year long plan to match up to where we think now we can be in three to five years. Is and so that a if,
0: December, December exercise or? It starts a lot earlier than that. We're, we're like already think, in yeah. it. <laughs>
1: um, oh, okay.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: And so for us, it starts with the senior management team working through um, the big initiatives and things, reflecting on how we've been doing, what should change, what should not change. And that gets turned into goals, which are don't prescribe how the goals will be done. Okay. And that gets communicated to the next level, like all the directors and the managers and the senior ICs. Um, and then they come up with plans to accomplish the goals. And they can't Got do it. that without their teams. So at this point, the whole company is like now involved in planning. And we've also nice. set up upfront like resources. Uh, you know, what do we think revenue is going to be? Yeah. How much EBITDA do we want to have? And you work back to like, this is the budget that we're going to build off of. And then if we're ahead, we set up front actually how much more we'll reinvest. So if we're ahead of EBITDA, we will not have more EBITDA than Y. So Mm -hmm. beyond that, make sure we figure out how to spend more of it. Um, And if we're below it, stay on the current path that we're on. And so you end up in this mode where you build all those plans, everyone knows what's going on. By the beginning of December, all goals are communicated, plans are communicated. And then you're you're rolling and then every quarter we're constantly checking in on how we are actually doing against plan it's even more often than that and if we're far ahead we bring we bring projects forward and we do things faster and we hire people earlier and all that
0: kind of stuff awesome 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 so i'm curious like functionally how is the company um how is leadership organized in that sense? So we, we've all, maybe there's like the the Spotify squad model was an article that went around a lot recently. Like people operate in pods. Sometimes it's more siloed than that in terms of marketing, sales, product, etc. How, how does Wistia? How is it organized? Maybe yeah, planning versus execution.
1: Yeah. So you know there are. The, it's kind of I would think where the way I would think about it is how is product design and engineering organized and then how does the rest of the company work because they are slightly different so product design and engineering um we always have like a product manager who is really like coordinating across that team what they want to do let's say their team is five to eight people engineers and designers um and research and qa depending on what what part of the product they're working on is and that product manager is responsible for you know building the roadmap and helping the team, you know, accomplish everything, getting the timing right, all that stuff. They're coordinating with uh, product marketing, and they're also coordinating with senior management. And so, you know, there's like reporting on how things are going, and there's feed, there's specific meetings that are set up to give feedback and all that kind of stuff. But what okay. we want it, we, what we want it to feel like, is if you are on one of those teams, we want it to feel like, you know, a small company. We want it to feel like a startup yeah. where you have all the information that you need to make decisions and to move quickly. You know what area you're working on. You know what the boundaries are. And by making enough structure, you actually end up with creative solutions that are being created because people have mm-hmm. the freedom to know where, like within their area what to work on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the other areas of the business, you know, support, we know how we're scaling support, um, and it's a different type of model that's more looking at how many uh, managers should there be? What types of things should support be owning overall? What types of things are we stretching ourselves on with support? Sales is very similar to that. Mm-hmm. Marketing is a little bit different um, because they're thinking about, you know, there's a lot of different types of marketing. There's the product marketing. There's a the brand marketing. Um, there's acquisition and growth and all of these things. And Some of them are working more closely with other teams and some of them are not. And then at Wistia, we also have a studios team, which is mm-hmm. the, the team that is making all of our long form content. So we're making this big bet that, uh, we're making this big bet that basically like brand affinity, which is the connection that people have to your brand is getting more and more important. And the reason for that is the world is crowded. There's, we have way less trust than we used to. You can't build a connection through to people through advertising anymore. So you have to do it some other way. And you could do it with your product experience, which we are focused on, having an amazing product experience, amazing support experience, sales experience, and the way that marketing can build brand affinity is through long-form content. And so mm. our studios team is making podcasts and documentaries and films and um, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, that's really neat. There's something there about long-form. I mean, people say long-form a lot lately. And in that context, we just share like brand affinity, what's that to me is it, what did you say? People don't trust as easily or like the trust element?
1: Trust is really important and it's, it's and we don't have as much yeah. trust in our institutions, in government, in mm-hmm. in brands, in people. And then if you think about how brands were built in the past, you know, mm-hmm. like take Coke, for example. Coke built its brand through advertising and mm-hmm. they did it over 100 years when for most of that time – there was very limited places to advertise so they could dominate and they're selling the simplest thing on earth, which is sugar water. And so we could <laughs> yeah. act, They, but what, but, but through years of advertising, they built a connection so strong that if you look at a Coke or you drink a Coke, you think you're going to be happy when you sip that Coke.
0: <laughs> it's right. Like really the, well done. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, that's what it is. Yeah. But that option, that, that option doesn't exist anymore. Like yeah, you can't just be the one. There's not three TV stations. Uh, Your options are like six second pre-roll ads Mm -hmm. and, you know, retargeting. You can't build a brand through that. That's like, has any strength. So
0: you have to figure
1: out a way to get people to spend time with your company and with your brand. And, um, that, I think the reason why long form makes so much sense is like in an internet world an internet culture, which is where we now live. If you are, uh, If you want to nerd out on something, you can find millions of people who want to nerd out on the same exact (laughs) hyper specific thing. And that was impossible like 20 years ago. Now it's the norm. And so what that means is like if you want to find a bunch of people that want to nerd out on pricing and business models, guess what? (laughs) ProfitWell can have an insane rabid audience
0: by focusing
1: on making content for that group. And they will watch hours and hours of stuff, and they will listen to hours and hours of stuff. And if you do all that, then if you're picking a product like them, you're gonna you're gonna pick them. Like it's just like, it yeah. you end up in this. We're just, but it's like the it's a product of where we are. It's like it's harder to stand out. Long and short of it, I could go on as you can see. Uh, yeah, no, this it's, is, a po- it's a great point. It's
0: a great yeah. point. I mean, there's something about that, like more than 30 seconds, like uh, that commitment to, you know, you're watching the pricing page tear down, and it's just long enough where. You invested some little bit of your your time, yourself, whatever, in consuming that, and it's not just a MTV you know style like what well, I'm dating myself, but it's like the you know the thirty seconds, fifteen seconds, yeah. whatever. It's the wow, I followed this author through a two thousand words or whatever, fifteen minutes. Like I've actually got a little bit more loyalty now to this yes. creator because. I don't know. I'm along for the ride, right? And yeah, um, yeah. That's that's a great point. That by being long form, it uh, it is differentiating, and it also gives people a chance to invest. Right? What the yeah. most valuable thing they have? Yeah, that's
1: a. Great it's point. also, I mean, what we were talking about earlier in terms of people's, you know, B two B. We're selling to human beings who are trying to advance their own careers, grow their business, save time, cut costs, whatever. Um, but like, would they prefer? To do business with brands that entertain them and that they learn from? Yeah. 100%. Of course. That, there's no, there's, it's yeah. so blindingly obvious. It's just, people mm. just don't really think that that's possible because they're like, I'm yeah. not going to go make Game of Thrones. And it's like, no, your version of Game of Thrones isn't Game of Thrones. <laughs> it's pricing page right. teardown. Don't you see? Like,
0: yeah it's, yeah, yeah, it's
1: actually the simplest thing you could imagine. It's the, it's the nerdiest thing. And then if you get yeah. there, boom, you're in amazing shape.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Khan Academy is an empire, and I'm pretty sure the guy was just uh, <laughs> drawing, drawing on a black screen and geeking out about things that you know who who would have thought so. Um, exactly. Yeah, that opportunity hasn't gone away. Amazingly, right? It's uh, it's actually you know highlighted and and uh, and you guys are helping to do that. Well, I I think that's a great note to end on. I appreciate your time so much. This was like uh, shining a nice bright light on how you guys work and i think it's uh really helpful for those of us who are trying to build our businesses and not just our uh, our numbers so thanks chris for for joining me
1: hey thanks for having me this was a this was a delight for sure
0: all right uh, folks check out wistia.com if you haven't already and uh we'll talk to you again sometime soon chris bye for now all right bye